Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Artificial intelligence is changing the world and every single thing we do, healthcare, automotive industry, visual search, and in a newer and earlier frontier, retail. This is a visionary podcast series about visionary ideas and people. My name is Oliver Chen. I'm Cowan's new platform, retail and luxury analyst. We're thrilled to have joining me for this episode, Francois Chabard, the CEO of Focal Systems. It's an important company with AI visual technology employed at Walmart and other major retailers. I met him at Stanford. I'm a graduate of one of the most exciting AI programs there at the business school. Today, we'll dive into questions surrounding AI and retail, use cases, what has and has not worked, and what's the potential impact to P&L. Francois Chabard is the founder and CEO of Focal Systems. He comes from an extensive background in deep learning and artificial intelligence after working at Apple's deep learning division, as well as creating and teaching two classes at Stanford. Focal Systems is a deep learning computer vision company focused on automating bricks and mortar retail through a real-time shelf digitization of the entire store. So Francois, thanks for being here with me. We're really excited to have you. Thank you for having me. How is artificial intelligence changing the world? I think that it already has changed the world. If you look at advertising, you you, know, you go online, you search for something that the ad that's being shown to you, there's is an, an AI model that Google AdSense, AdWords, baseball, the way that teams are, are selected. Uh, you know, uh, if you watch the movie Moneyball, speech to text services, $9 billion industry, it's like completely automated, um, translation services, you know, agriculture, insurance, air travel. Uh, we have planes that can now land themselves. The Cirrus Vision Jet is the first publicly uh, available. You can buy a plane that can land itself. I mean, it, it, you hit a button and it just does it. Self-driving cars, obviously, that's the biggest hype uh, piece that Tesla now has beta nine, which is full self-driving uh, capabilities. I think uh, art and game development art you know, the AI just won its first art competition, right? I mean, it's, so it's, it's already, it has already happened and it is just going to yeah. uh, proliferate even further and impact every single piece of what you do today. So Francois, take us into retail. Where are we today with retail and AI? What are the biggest use cases people should understand? Uh, yeah, I think that a retail is definitely lagging behind in AI adoption. There's a lot of reasons for that. One of them I mentioned earlier on the, on the last call, which is talking about they don't have accurate real-time data. A prerequisite for being able to apply AI is having accurate real-time data. If you look at finance, right? If I'm trying to build a, a, a algorithmic trading algorithm and I have late data or inaccurate data, like it's going to make a lot of bad trades. Right. And so um, same thing is true in a uh, self-driving car. If you don't, if you can't digitize the world around the car and know that there's cars coming at me or going away from me, whatever, then how I'm going to crash a lot. If I'm 40 seconds late or even a minute late, yeah, I'm going to uh, crash a lot. So in retail, you needed to first, that's the first problem that we really needed to solve. And I was shocked to know that PI accuracies were so bad. Inventory management accuracies were so bad. And if you're trying to order accurately Cheerios and you don't know how many boxes you have in the store, 
you're either going to over on order or under order hard stop and so the first step you have to get accurate real-time data uh and then once you have that then you can begin to play the game of retail and that's what we've basically done focals uh we have two separate teams one of them is focused on store digitization where we're trying to digitize the four walls the the sales floor the back room the end of vial to know exactly what's there the produce rack the fridges know exactly what is where in the entire store once you know that the next group we have is the focal os team is from that from that data now automate uh order writing so i'm ordering j j just in time reducing back stock reducing shrink reducing food waste it's a huge application there and uh increasing availability you know automatically writing the schedule for when uh people you know stockers should arrive what they should be working on and when and which priority that what the planogram should be a bunch of different applications of of uh of, but once it all predicates on you have to know what is where in the store. And Francois, talk to us about computer vision. How does that play into what you do and why is now uh, the right time? What's happening with the convergence of technology to make AI uh, more viable right now? Yeah, I think there's two major tidal waves that we're riding. The first one is the smartphone market. The smartphone market brought the cost of a two megapixel camera from let's say $100 before the iPhone to $1.20. If you go on Alibaba right now and try to buy a two megapixel uh, camera module, it costs $1.20. That is insane. And so with that, it brings down the cost of deployed computer vision by leaps and bounds by 100x. The next wave is what we can do with those images. If AI algorithms pre-AlexNet, which is the, the, the big, uh, step function in in the deep learning community, the most important AI paper of all time, in my opinion. Uh, pre AlexNet, our error rates on any benchmark you would put uh, the benchmark that computer vision uh, uh, community uses is called ImageNet. I mean, I think the ImageNet accuracies were something like twenty percent at one accuracy. If I only get to make one guess, I'd be correct twenty percent of the time out of a thousand classes. Now they're at ninety one percent accuracies at one accuracies, which is just insane. And so it's like leaps and bounds. So now that's, it went from not useful at all, you know, one out of five times I'll get the answer right. Now, 91 out of hundred times to get the answer right. So it is completely uh, of, you know, those are the two massive waves that are coming that, that are gonna have massive implications for driving, self-driving cars, planes landing themselves and uh, reordering Cheerios. Francois, how has accuracy increased? Um, the power of neural networks has become really evident. I guess, let me talk about the AlexNet paper a little bit. Before the AlexNet paper, we had these very shallow models that were really simple and we would all handcrafted ways to like try to find a cat in an image. And that's basically what we were trying to do. Uh, the com computer vision community was trying to do. Um, and what we what happened in 2012 in Toronto uh, University of Toronto with these three guys, Alex Kuzewski, Ilya Satskiver, and jo Jeffrey Hinton, is take GPUs, which were predominantly used for, for rendering triangles in video games. That's like the main use case for GPUs in 2012. And then, uh, but it's great at doing really parallelizable tasks, like a like processing an image. I can start at every single pixel and run a really complex thing and loop over all pixels and do them at the same exact time in parallel. That's why GPUs are so great. And so now Alex Krasevsky was a game developer. He he applied uh, Jeffrey Hinton's idea of what's called backpropagation and neural networks. Uh, and backpropagation is the way you train neural networks. 
and applied it onto a GPU. It's the first one to do that. And that gave uh, that showed the entire AI community a new way to get insane accuracies. And now this, the only limiting steps, there's two. One is the size of the model. So do you have a big enough GPU that can handle the bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger models? That's literally what's blocking us from getting to even bigger, uh, a better AI. And two is access to real-time accurate data. And that's the why scale.ai is worth a couple billion dollars in valuation is like, how do we get more accurate data? And once you feed, once you get both those things, it the the floodgates open. It allows so many different things that you can possibly go and do. And so that's that's really the two big uh, step functions there. Francois, what about the PL and retail, you know, putting on your CFA hat? We both have CFAs. So what may happen with implementation of AI and the mechanics of the future of labor as well. Yeah. So I think that, you know, there's this lump labor fallacy that they teach in the CFA, which is like, Hey, is if there is X amount of labor inside the, in the world to make the economy tick and robots are doing more and more percentage up to hundred percent, then what are we going to do? That we're all going to, you know, I think, uh, um, do, you know, party, do art, and, uh, and there's nothing for us to do, right? That just hasn't been true. And I think that as you automate more stuff in retail, it doesn't actually necessarily automate, reduce the amount of, of jobs that we're going to ask people to do. We, now we can afford more people to go in and provide better customer service and things like that. So I think that now that's one major trend. I think what actually happens, it makes the productivity of each stalker 10x more. And so that allows you to get maybe 10x more sales and get so much more. And so it's going to really, it's going to, you know, you'll see kind of uh, in dollar value, I think labor stays equal. I think in percentage of sales, it goes through the floor. It goes from 13% uh, sales to labor to maybe five, six. And then what's what's going to offset that, there's going to be a little bit of offsetting with it. You're going to have to pay for AI, which may be one to 3%. Uh, let's say of uh, depending on how aggressive you want to get in AI uh, of sales will go to AI. And then that, so that's going to be, let's say it's five plus three is going to be 8%. You're going to have an extra 5% of EBITDA margin, right? So you're going to go from 3% EBITDA margins, which is typical in grocery retail and non-inflationary environments, you know, to, to eight, which is like a big, big, big deal. And Francois, what about the future of the store, the center of the store, curbside pickup, no mm-hmm. checkout, um, automated checkout, just walk out. What do you see happening with these different variables? Yeah, let me go in reverse order there. I guess the cashierless checkout, the Amazon Go flavor of that, I don't believe in. I think that that is cost preventative right now. We worked on this when we were first starting out. And basically you want to like pick what your selectively permeable layer is. Is it at the till? Is it in the whole store? If it's a whole store, it's more expensive because you have to put these cameras everywhere. You have to track Oliver throughout the entire store and you have to use really expensive DSLRs and really real-time expensive GPUs to do and process all that data. I don't believe in that. I think that Amazon is kind of floundering right now with that use case. They, they tried to, they said they were going to be in 3000 stores by 2021. Well, it's 2022, about to be 2023 and they're in 54 is the last count I had. So nowhere near 3,000 and a site, the reason why is because of the cost of the system. It's too expensive. 
GPUs are expensive. And this is why, you know, Nvidia stock is up so high. So I think I don't believe in that one. I do believe in uh in just now taking AI out of the equation, just thinking about from a PL perspective. If I have three different models, I can be, let's call it a traditional grocery store that does not offer click and pick, does not offer any e-com. I don't let Instacart in my store. I don't let DoorDash in my store. Model two is I'm a dark store. You're not allowed to walk into my store. You can only order uh, uh, online. And then it's fulfillment, uh, 1520, gorillas, all those guys. Um, And then the third is a light store. And so I have a dark store and I open it up. Oliver's allowed to walk in and buy stuff. In this one, we already know the P&L. We've been doing it for 100 years. We know what it looks like. In this one, it's basically the same deal as Amazon. And we already kind of already know that P&L as well. I can't walk into an Amazon fulfillment center and start picking stuff off the shelf. Now, if I did, and let's say I had a bunch of these all, all scattered and maybe they're smaller, I don't know. And now I just let Oliver walk in. That is at revenue accretive. Like someone was going to go to a grocery store, the first model, and now, and they didn't, weren't going to do the second one. They, you know, and now in the light store, you will satisfy both customers, both use cases. Why would you not? And you have to pay the same rent. It's the same rent either way. So that the highest return on assets, in my opinion, with unquestionably is the light store model. Now, how do you offer in a light store environment, uh, omni-channel? It's very difficult. Do I have a separate section inside that store that is specifically for omni-fulfillment centers? If you go into a Walmart, they're doing that. They have little MFC sections in the store. Now I have five different places where Coke is versus two, right? It's like, it just adds all this complexity. I, I can't answer that question, but I do know that the economics, if I'm a grocer and I already have... 5,000 grocery stores, you know, in the United States or something like that, like Walmart does, I'd make them all light stores. I, I, I would do fulfillment out of them. Yeah. And the problem with this and that we we help solve is they don't know what's in the store. So you you're, you go on to walmart.com. Let's say, let's say you order hundred products, 25% are substituted out because they didn't know that they didn't have it in the store. That's a terrible customer experience. The analog equivalent of that is you buy a hundred things in your basket, you're pushing it to your, your, your car, cashier runs out after you, takes 25 products out, swaps them with something else that maybe you didn't want. Are you kidding me? I mean, you never go back to Walmart again, but this is happens. Yeah. There's a lot of friction. You really want that apple, that special apple that you really want and ask (laughs) for. I see what you're saying with accuracy. So tell us a little bit about Walmart. What are you doing in the store now? What's happening and why uh, did Focal um, win versus other solutions? We, we can only say so much. So I'll try to be say things that are only uh, that you, one could you know infer from public information. So you can walk into any store right now. It's chain wide. We're doing chain wide rollout for all of Walmart Canada, which is 403 stores. You know, it's very exciting. We're really, really, really uh, excited to work with them. They're they're thinking about it the right way. They're you know changing the way that they're talking about availability, using it from a focal uh, OSA versus their traditional systems and things like that. They're thinking in terms of those OODA loops we talked earlier, observe, orient, decide, act, and building those OODA loops based on the focal data, changing the way they order, changing the way that they are stocking, changing the way that they they may be setting planograms or whatever, um, using all that data for all of that. And, uh, and it's really exciting um, to be a part of that and help them and be their partner in digitization of the store and then automation, right? Which is a big piece of it. I think uh, there are a lot of retailers that are trying to build it themselves. And and we've, we've seen, we talked to some of them and they they basically had me on the whiteboard and say, explain what you guys do. And I was like, okay, come on. Like I, you're not buying, you're trying to build. 
and uh, and we haven't gotten that really at all from home, which is great. And it's been a great partnership. And we're really excited about that. Taking us back at our class at Stanford, and I'm also in the MIT program, supervised learning, unsupervised learning, reinforcement learning. Could you give us a quick take on what are those major buckets in terms of how they fit into the AI world and how might consumer retail use them? Let me first add some color to what those terms mean. If you go to CS229, they have great lecture notes on all this that will do way better than I will right now. Supervised learning is basically anytime I have a teacher or a supervisor telling the AI what to go and do. You know, For us, we use supervised learning all the time, predominantly supervised learning, which is usually a labeler is labeling an image saying, yes, that's an out-of-stock. Okay, I train the AI. The AI says that's not an out-of-stock. Oop, error going back through the model, get better next time. Now you do get the answer right. Unsupervised learning is more anomaly detection. You, know, you hear a bunch of clusters and like this little data point does not is not near any other data point and it's probably anomalous. Maybe it's a spam, maybe it's um, you know something else. Reinforcement learning is mostly for gameplay. If you can whittle it down, the, the, the problem to a game, chess, go, checkers, I don't know, even playing uh, Dota, uh, World of Warcraft, there's a bunch of reinforcement learning in there. And it's trying to map a state that you could be in to an action. And which action? If you have many actions, which action should it go take? And there's advancements happening in all three fields for sure with, with deep learning, um, which is just bigger, bigger models. For uh, applying those three to uh, use cases of those three to retail, Supervised learning, detecting out of stock from an image, for sure, right? That's a great supervised learning uh, application. Unsupervised learning is fraud. If <clears throat> you detect that there's um, some anomalous behavior happening, and then maybe that's you know someone trying to gain the system and trying to do a refund. All of a sudden, we see this giant amount of refunds in one store, right? It's like, eh, why are we refunding three billion dollars in one store, right? Like, you know, kind of finding that anomalous uh, behavior. This isn't within the distribution we'd expect. And then reinforcement learning, I think this is the most exciting one in my opinion. How do you, you know, if you have a Game Boy, you can go up, down, left, right, A, B. Those are your controls of the Game Boy. And you're trying to win a game, Mario, whatever. How do I get retail down to a Game Boy where I control, what are my, what are my controls? I control the labor and the labor schedule. I control the SKUs that are in my store, what percent of the shelf they hold, shelf allocation or planogram. I control the forecast, how much I'm ordering. And that's about it. <laughs> Advertising spend, some other, that's it. There's not many variables that are uh, in my control that are control variables. So now you can get, give it, here's the control, go maximize EBITDA. Go maximize. The other, the other part of this is this magic plus logic and product innovation and mm -hmm. rethinking development. So taking it even a step back, I think, and the, the the real side of creating a product you didn't know you wanted or needed. Mm -hmm. If I were CEO of a national retailer, uh, that's this is what I would do. I would sit, I would go down to every single, I would go down to a store and I would say, and I'd write down every single decision that a human is making. And I would question whether or not we can make an AI to make it faster, better, more frequently, and to optimize the full picture yeah. and maximize a bit of quicker. And I would go and do that right now and then what, try to play the more game. More broadly, it's a great topic. What is your advice for CEOs? What are most C-suite coming to you? What are the biggest problems? The, the knowledge base that a stock trader in 1970 needed versus in, in 2022 could not be more different. The overlap is maybe 3%, right? I mean, it's a completely different world. 
I think the same divergence is happening in retail. So I would say, I would advise very strongly that you go do the course that you did at Sanford where we met, go do that, get smart on AI. You don't need to know how to train your own models. I'm not saying that. I am saying that you should understand it, uh, know how to deploy it, know how to use it. It, you know, that's what Jeff Bezos is doing for sure. And if that's your competition, you're trying to, you know, it's going to help all retailers, no matter what, if you're two stores in LA, if you're a hundred stores in, in Vietnam, like it's going to help you uh, make better decisions and increase EBITDA unquestionably. So you better get smart on it and you can't delegate that. They often, they, they hire a CAIO, right? Or a chief data officer. And so your job is to go figure out AI. No, you can't do that. The CEO, it's so important. It's not a technology, it's a strategy. And the CEO needs to be championing that from the top down. Francois, what about privacy concerns slash opportunities? What, what's on your mind for that? Yeah, I think this is a big one. I, I, that's why we don't get into, there's a whole bunch of use cases for LP loss prevention that I just do not, I'm not interested in because I, I don't like the way that that, that sounds. Um, we're going to be tracking people, identifying Oliver. And, and when Oliver, you know, uh, if he's on my target list, I'm going to sound the red alarms, you know, and I'm going to do facial recognition in real time and send the alarms to the security guard, like go grab them. Yeah. I, I'm kind of scared of that. Um, I also think that um, Amazon has been struggling with that with their Amazon Go platform. I mean, now you have a hundred cameras that are very high re resolution that are right in your face. I mean, you look up and you see this army of, of cameras that are right at your face. It's very scary. We don't get into that at all. We have the first model, and you can see this on the website, the first model before we even save the image cuts the person's silhouette out of the image. We save the rest of the pixels because they're useful. Um, you can still detect a lot of out of stocks in them typically, but uh, we do not want to worry about PII, personally identifiable information or anything of the sort. And um, what do you think the nearest challenges will be in terms of what's ahead with the new frontier? You know, what, what's limiting growth slash, you know, pushing opportunities forward? For, uh, for retailers? Yeah. And the AI field at large, um, you know, as there's been so much progress, but there's so much opportunity ahead. I would say the, the limits on the AI community are the size of GPUs and the yeah. availability of real-time data. Like that's the only limiting steps on those parts, algorithmic complexity and things like that. Like we're, we're coming up with these new models that are just so cool and so powerful. But if you scale, you know, uh, arbitrarily the, the GPU size and the amount of data that you have, the, the results just get better. It's like, yeah. it's really insane the way it works. The The limiting step from the, the retailer standpoint is an education gap. I think that the playbook, the people that are in charge uh, and say this with a huge amount of respect, know the playbook of the 80s, 90s, 2000s, which yeah. if you look at the Kroger Albertsons uh, uh, merger, right? Big deal. That's the playbook, growth by acquisition, right? If you're trying to increase intrinsic value of the organization, you know, you grow sales, you, you reduce cost, right? And figure out how to do that. The ideas for reduction in cost is cut the labor, see what happens. <laughs> like, I mean, that's the strategy is like literally cut, cut the labor, keep continuously. They, they're not replacing it with technology. They really like sometimes maybe it's very, you know, cash counting machine. A, I saw the most recent one was a automatic cake decorator. 
I mean, what are we talking about? That's like 0.01% of the labor or something like that. Like it just like, it's not, doesn't flow into some AI strategy. And so I say again, that the biggest limiting step in retail adoption is not knowing the new playbooks and not understanding AI enough to be able to devise an AI strategy. If you ask a re- CEO of a major yeah, retailer- I kind of want that cake thing. It sounds good. <laughs> I kinda want that. Um, last question, um, Francois, what about Web3 Metaverse and tokenization? Uh, blockchain's a big deal to me because it enables transparency. And as we study Gen Z and Generation Alpha, I think decentralization will be a key theme as well. Yes. So <clears throat> if flashback to 1999, Every company that started with an E dash was going public at ridiculous valuations. And uh, Alan Greenspan called this uh, irrational exuberance, I think is what it was called. That doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater. And did we need ladders.com? Did I need a separate website to sell me ladders? No. But there were a couple of companies that were going to survive the dot-com bust and became insanely the the most important companies in the world right now, Uh, Google, uh, Amazon, et cetera. Similarly, I think that 80 to 90% of this hoopla, I think, goes away and burns off. It's definitely in in the recession coming in the next 12 months. Um, But similar fashion, some of the most important companies are going to be formed in that space. Um, Metaverse, I don't really know. I, I, I don't have too much of an opinion. I hope that we don't live in a world where everyone just sits in their bed with a, you know, TV, you know, three inches from their eyeballs and never gets up and just has Amazon fly a drone to feed you. And, you know, that that's kind of a dystopia in my mind on And largely, I think that will lead to more uh, isolation and uh, more depression. In my opinion, I think that it's a little bit scary. There's some probably good, really good use cases for it that I, I like digital twins, I think is a really big one like that. I'm excited about for uh, web three uh, decentralization. I very exciting technology. We'll see what, what the optimal use cases are for it that will survive. It won't be all. Um, I don't really think the NFT thing, I, you know, I have had my friends, you know, try to explain to me why uh, Ticketmaster needs to be an NFT. I'm like, I don't really get it. Um, but, you know, relation database can serve that function quite well. And it seems to be all right. Bitcoin, without question, it, if every single view of if you wrote down on a white a whiteboard, what are the things you want in a store of value? In my opinion, I want it to be easily transportable. Okay, I have a, a zip drive and I can carry billions of dollars, right? Uh, I can. I want to make it uh, difficult to steal. I want to make it. You know, a government can't nationalize it. If you know, we we live in a great country. There's a lot of countries that will nationalize people's money, rich people's money, and 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 maybe take them into a prison and then steal all their money, right? Um, if it's you know. Uh, in a zip drive versus in a bank, um, it's a lot harder to steal. If it's a land, land is pretty yeah. easy to steal. So I think every measure, Bitcoin makes more sense as a store of value than anything else that we have out there. And Francois, final question. Um, which, What AI is most exciting to you? Are you most excited about? And any closing remarks you may have? There's two that I would really call out. The first one is called Stable Diffusion, um, is a, a new uh, a type of, of, of generative uh, models that just won an AI competition. And if you look at these images, they are beautiful. And they won, it just won an art contest. First time an art, an AI won an art contest that the judges didn't know it was AI generated. Um, it is just in, insanely beautiful. And it's, it, you know, the, the, the implication of this is that maybe AI can, can create 
movies, can create worlds that we can go live in. I mean, couple that with metaverse, it's like, why, why would I, you know, go deal with my, if I have a bad, you know, a bad situation, I'm living in a trailer park or something, like, why would I deal with that reality? Like, I wouldn't, I would just live in this crazy, really cool world. The second one is large language models. There's a, a couple of them. Palm, I think, is uh, talked about earlier, pathway language model that Google produced. Um, these models are insanely powerful and they can be applied to take the SAT and they can like outperform, like, you know, uh, uh, I don't think that they're going to get a 1600 on the SAT, but they're like getting there. And it's like, it's via just scaling up compute, scaling up the size of the, 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 the models and scaling up the amount of data fed into it. Um, it's really, really exciting. Yeah. Stable diffusion can really unlock a lot of creativity and both of these technologies, you know, have that magic plus logic or, you know, we didn't get into human in the loop, but you know, enabling us to be different kinds of hopefully better people mm -hmm. um, and better businesses and more efficient businesses are big opportunities. Mm -hmm. Well, Francois, it was really fun to be here with you. Congratulations on the success of Focal Systems and thanks for uh, providing us this deep learning experience and AI. We appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.